0: Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Genesis chapter 41, if you would turn there, we are uh, starting our part two of our series I've Got Questions. And in today's message, we want to focus our attention on what is the purpose of relationships? What is the purpose of relationships? Uh, Let me pray really, really quick. Holy Spirit, teach us what the purpose of relationships is all about. Amen. Okay. So whether you you know this or not, um, God has an eternal purpose. In our ability to develop and have relationships with others. I don't know if you knew that, but it's true. And even though despite the culture that we live in right now, in today's culture where, you know, postmodernism is kind of pulling us away with this weird thinking of that, it's all about me, it's all, or all about you, it's all about what I want and not what you want, or anything like that. Um, despite all of that, God really has designed relationships um, for the fact that He wants to partner he wants you and I to partner with him in bringing about eternal salvation and kingdom purpose in the lives of those that we encounter and love on a daily basis. Amen. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute, I don't, I don't love everybody, Pastor Scott. Yeah, I get that. Um, but that doesn't matter because if you're walking in the Spirit, if you're walking in the things of God, then you know what? You're, you're going to have to love people. That's just the way it kind of it, it pans out. That's the way God created it. And all throughout Scripture, we can see kind of that this God's plan of redemption kind of it was is not intended as a secondary thought. Okay? It's not something where, well, I hope it happens to you, or maybe, you know, some kind of possibility that maybe you get saved, whatever. Instead, it was God's design. It was deeply rooted in a central theme that's in Scripture about understanding what relationships are. Let me give you a few examples. In, in all four Gospels, Jesus references God as a Heavenly Father who is in relationship with Him, Jesus, and with His children. Are you His children? Weak sauce. Yeah. Okay, so I told you I'm taking you back to Sunday school, right? Okay? And one of the things in Sunday school is like you just don't go, yeah. No, you go, yeah. Right? Okay. You're like, oh my gosh, what did I get myself into this morning? Pastor Scott's been gone, hasn't spoken in a couple of weeks, so he's fired up, right? No, anyways. Okay, and then in Ephesians 5, it talks about how the relationship between husband and wife reflect the relationship of Christ and the church. So there's this relationship aspect that goes on, and then you have in Ephesians 6 um, and Deuteronomy 11, 11. now I'm going to summarize this, but basically through relationships, we are to train our children in the way that they should go, so when they grow old, they will not depart from it, right? Which, newsflash, doesn't mean it's always fun to train your child. Can I get an amen? amen. Oh yeah, you're getting it now. You're kind of like getting a little more juice there, right? It's not always fun. And, and another thing is, don't, don't be their bestie, okay? Because there are times that you're going to have to like strictly lay down the law. As my son's sitting right here, um, hopefully, uh, yeah, okay, there's the head shake. But sometimes you got to lay down the law and say, hey, no, this, this is it. But see, we could look at so many more relationships, even the relationship between believers and the church and what goes on in there. But today we want to instead look at a very familiar Old Testament passage, okay, to see God's purpose for relationships, and that's the story of Joseph. And you might think, well, well I don't know. I've, I've heard, you know, before. But this is where we're going back to Sunday school, okay? Now, the thing about it is you've got to realize I'm not going to ask you to sit crisscross applesauce, right? Thank you. Yeah, someone said thank you. I'm not going to tell you to get your quiet sticks out, right? I'm not going to do all that. But you know what? We're going to engage kind of in, in this thing because I think you probably all have heard this a little bit of it when it comes to maybe being in Sunday school if you grew up in church. So in Genesis chapter 41, we're going to find out what people consider some some people consider the crowning moment of this kind of story about Joseph. And when we when we get there, we're going to before that get there, we're going to kind of lay out some context to it. So it starts with Joseph having two dreams. And regarding the dreams were regarding himself and his family. Now, the first dream, Joseph basically tells his brothers, I don't know why he got this idea to do this, but he tells his brothers about how they're going to bow down to him. Now, the thing about his brothers, they kind of didn't like him already because they always felt like, well, he's dad's favorite. He's, you know, kind of the chosen one, you know, type of thing. And so he gets this bright idea to say, hey, guys, I had a dream you're going to bow down to me. Well, that just didn't go well. Not one of the, the greatest ideas. And then the second dream comes, and it's the whole family has to bow down to him. Now, if he didn't learn from the first one, he goes ahead and says it again. Not great in the wisdom department at the moment. So he shares this dream. So Joseph's brothers decide, well, you know what? This ain't working. This ain't working. So they're out grazing kind of their flock and everything. And, and Joseph's dad, um, Jacob, says, Hey, I need you, Joseph, to go out and see how they're doing. Check it all out. Come back and let me know or whatever. Well, his brothers decide, Hey, you know what? Um, let's, let's do something with Joseph. So they end up selling him into slavery. Have, yeah, you guys have all heard the story, right? Okay, so, you know, we're kind of just doing this walk back in Sunday school a little bit. Um, if I could moonwalk, I would, but I don't. So... But that's kind of what we're doing here for a moment. So then, they, what they do is they go back and they tell their dad, "Hey, Joseph was killed by a wild animal. Um, I'm so we're so sorry." You know, his dad mourns and everything. And then in, in, in Genesis 39, Joseph is purchased by uh, purchased from the slave market, the Egyptian slave market, for Potiphar, who was kind of um, an officer in Pharaoh's court, and then. Joseph then is promoted to be an overseer of all of Potiphar's affairs. Well, what happens then is Joseph's, I mean, Potiphar's wife kind of um, makes an advance towards Joseph. Joseph says, no, thank you. And in order to kind of cover it up, he gets charged, um, you know, with an accusation of of basically um, rape and um, gets thrown into jail. So it's not working out real good for him. If you, if you think about it. But then why he's in prison? In Genesis 40, he begins to have favor again and he begins to um, be promoted to be the overseer of all the prisoners. Then two more dreams show up. Now, Joseph doesn't have the dreams, but the chief baker and the chief butler are also in prison there, but they have these dreams. So they come to Joseph and ask Joseph, what do you think of these dreams? And so Joseph go goes and he comes back and um, he basically, you know, tells him, hey, um, it's going to work out really good for you, Chief Butler, but Baker, not so much. It's not going to work out for you. Because as we know, the, the, the Baker uh, was killed. Um, then we're going to kind of uh, see a little bit more down the road here. Two years later, Joseph is still in prison, but the, um, but the Pharaoh... Has a dream or has two dreams. And the butler remembers that Joseph was the one who interpreted his dream. And so he tells the Pharaoh, Hey, I know a Hebrew that is able to interpret dreams. Should I bring them in? And so Pharaoh says, Yes. So Joseph comes in and, and, and share, the Pharaoh shares his dreams. And the first one was that seven fat cows and had seven skinny cows. And the seven skinny cows eat. Or gobbled up the seven fat cows, and then the second dream was seven ears of healthy corn and seven sick ears. Um, then, what happens is the seven sick ears gobble up the seven healthy ears. So Joseph says, "Hey, there's a meaning. These two dreams have one meaning. There will be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. They will eat up." all of the surplus of the plentiful years. So I would say, Pharaoh, it would really be wise of you to appoint someone who could strategically save during the plentiful years so that you have enough to sustain us and sustain Egypt during that time. So let's pick up in in, uh, Genesis 41, and we're going to be in verse 37 through 41. All right. So this is what it says. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh. And in the eyes of all his servants, and the Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man whom is the Spirit of God? Now, Pharaoh was not really acknowledging God as Yahweh. He was just simply pointing out that there is something on Joseph's life. Okay, so verse 39. Then Pharaoh says to Joseph, And as much as God has shown you all this, There is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne, I will be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over the land of Egypt. Now, that to me just shows a great picture of redemption, wouldn't you say? Because here he's gone from being a slave, a prisoner And now He's been giving ruling authority. So much like our life in Christ. Because before we get saved, we are a slave to sin, our flesh, all of those things. We're a prisoner almost to it. But when Christ comes into our life, this redemption takes place. And now, because of what Christ has done, He's given us all this authority. Kingdom authority, because of what His Word has to say. Because His Word is ultimately true above everything Every single thing. So here Joseph's gone from the pit, to Potiphar's house, to prison, and now to power in Pharaoh's court. But here's the thing. That was not the payoff moment for him. Because you could look at him and think, man, he has suffered so much. He has gone through so many things And when you look at that and think, boom, man, look at that. Romans 8.28, man, all things work together for good. They do. But but in our minds, we think, well, man, that's the blessing. But see, something about Joseph knew that that was not the payoff moment. The fact that now he was the second guy in command, the second guy in charge. So why did he think differently? Well, Joseph knew that God made a covenant with his great-grandfather, Abraham. That he too was part of a, a covenant relationship with God. And not only that, it put him in relationship with people that centered around God's kingdom. It, didn't, it, 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 it did not focus on his descendants. Now, part of that covenant was the fact that God said, you know what, my people will not serve kings that worship other gods. Now, you could look at it and go, well, okay, how does that apply to us? Well, maybe sometimes we put things in our life that actually are gods, that are above God Himself. But see, the covenant says, you know what, you're not going to worship kings that don't have any relationship. And so, this kind of was what was happening. Joseph is now second in command to an ungodly pagan king who he himself believed that he was a god and was very much in, in, um, very much insulting. Um, his, his actual existence was insulting before God. And so here we have Joseph who is a, a, a child of God who was looking at and saying, this is not the best. This is not the best thing for me in a sense of being in this position. There's greater things that God has called me to. Plus, this king said, you are now my servant, empowered by your God, basically to prop up my kingdom where I am God. So Joseph knew that this couldn't be the payoff moment because it's going against the covenant relationship that he had with God. But see, sometimes we, we, we lock into, you know what, the payoff moment. If I just do this, if I just keep going this direction, if I keep, keep just gaining more and more and more and more and more, then that's the payoff moment. But see, the thing is, is with God, the covenant, is it, it's relationship. Relationship with Him and relationship with others that is more important. Genesis um, 41, 42, and 43 says, Then Pharaoh took his signet, signet signet ring off his hand and put it on joseph's hand now that ring was very important because it was the one that was used for sealing letters it was the thing that was uh, of utmost importance and then it said and he clothed him in garments of fine linen which is the best clothes and put a gold chain around his neck now my weird thinking thinks you know the big old j right there You know, the gold chain. You've seen those, right? You know, basketball players show up or football players. Just those big honking chains. You're like, dude, do you really need that, bro? But anyways, that's off topic. Okay, put a gold chain around his neck, and he had him ride in the second chariot. Now, again, I'm thinking, so he got to ride in the Royals Royce while the pharaoh rode in the Bentley. I think that car, I looked it up, and I think they think the Bentley's better than the Royals Royce. Anyways, totally off topic. Okay, So, he rode in the second chariot, which he had, and they cried out before him, Bow the knee, so he sent him over all the land of Israel. Now, this is polar opposite, right? From where Joseph's brothers were. Here, Joseph's brothers were supposed to be part of his godly community, right? Supposed to be, um, you know, um, loving each other, Supposed to be having community with each other. Supposed to be growing with each other. All of these things. But the problem was, is they allowed um, the the root of of, um, unforgiveness or even jealousy to creep in. And so here they were thinking, yeah, you know what? Nah. We don't accept you and we don't accept the dreams that God gave you. Yet, here he is now, and he's in this whole, city where ungodly people are now revering him. Right? He's got power. He's got wealth. He's got prestige. He's got popularity. I mean, he's got the complete trust and favor of a man who's probably the most powerful man in the whole world at the time. I mean, I would think this could go to Joseph's heart and, and puff him up and think that he's all that in a bag of chips, right? But that's going to kind of lead us to our first point here, and that is don't consider power, prestige, or wealth to be the payoff in life. Don't consider power, prestige, or wealth to be the payoff in life. Now, see, Joseph didn't. To him, there was something more important. Verse 45, now I'll probably butcher these names because I'm well known for that. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Z- Zaphnath-Panif, something like that, which is an Egyptian name. And he gave him a wife, Asenath, es- the daughter of Potipara, a priest of On, which this guy was pretty well known, I guess. But, the reason why the, the, um, Pharaoh gave him a, a, an Egyptian wife was that he thought that that would integrate Joseph into the culture. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. And then in verse 50 and 52, it says, And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom um, Esenoth, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of Orm, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, I probably butchered that, for God has made me, listen, forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of affliction. So let's look at this for, for a second, right? So although he's one of the most powerful men in Egypt, And he's married to one of the the most powerful families in Egypt. What does he do? He gave his boys Hebrew names. Not Egyptian names. He wasn't going to be swayed or defined by the culture. So basically he's saying, hey, you know what? I do not consider myself Egyptian. I am a Hebrew and a member of God's special family. The culture does not define me. And I think in that way, we have to look at relationships, even in in the body of Christ, but also outside of the body of Christ with people, and say, you know what? culture doesn't define me. God's Word defines me. The Spirit of God defines me. And so let's look at the first name, Manathus. yeah, whatever. It, okay, so for some scholars, they've, they've kind of come to the conclusion that it's very hard to, to translate, but they do agree that the name does not mean I have forgotten that I belong to my father's house, like, you know, basically kind of erasing everything, and I have, you know, nothing to do with Jacob or anything like that. And, and really the reason why we know that is because of the fact that he named his, his sons um, in Hebrew names. So what it does mean, though, it means I've forgotten all the hardship I experienced in my father's house that led me to this place. Or you could say, um, I let that stuff go. See, he was well ahead of his time, right? Before, what's the girl that sings, let it go, let it go. I can't get that high, right? Well before the time. But he says, you know what? All of this stuff I am letting go. I'm not going to allow it to define me. I'm not going to allow it to, to make me lose focus of what I know my covenant relationship with God is. I'm not going to let it lose help me lose my focus on the fact that I am a Hebrew, that I am in covenant with God. And so here he is at this point of his journey. And the second son points to what he's focusing on, and that's Ephraim which means God has made me fruitful and prospered me in the land of my affliction. It's the very first word, the key word. Or you could say God has. Right? Not him, himself. But he recognizes, his focus is on the fact that God has made me fruitful and has prospered me in the land of my affliction. So here Joseph is, he's giving thanks for the the mercy, the favor, the blessing of God that God has truly poured upon him, truly given him in the land of his affliction. And so, again, this is not the land of the payoff. But we could look at it from a natural perspective, right? And say, you know, hey, Joseph, you're rich. People love you. You are living the dream. So why do you say the land of affliction? Because I think Joseph would reply back and say, I'm living for something way beyond that. Which leads us to our second point. Live for something more significant than what the world deems as success. Live for something more significant than what the world deems as success. Now, I'm sure you can run a list in your mind of all the things that the world deems as success. Because, again, the culture pushes, right? Pushes that it's about power, it's about wealth, it's about prestige, it's about um, popularity. But here's the key. It's about relationships. It really is about relationships. You know, you hear the saying where you know um, you can't take it with you when you go when you die, right? But we push so hard. And I'm not saying you know not working hard or or doing all that and and you know gaining a nest egg or whatever. I'm not saying that's bad or anything like that. But 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 don't don't pursue that and push aside relationships. Relationships within the context, especially. In the body of christ the people that you are in community with but it's about relationship and that's one aspect of joseph's of this story that i think joseph's trying to teach us because again let's look at at, at verse 45 to kind of get that that point now just a small backstory again the famine that is occurring in the land eventually gets to joseph's family so his brothers come to egypt and, and get grain and food and this is what happens it says, Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. So they just didn't recognize him because you know what they thought he was dead a long time ago. Verse 2, and he wept out loud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. There must have been some loud crying. And then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. I think basically frozen in fear, right? Um, And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near, and then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, I was thinking about, man, what would it be like to be a brain cell inside of one of those brothers' heads? Right? Because I'm sure they're thinking, oh, goodness. Now, that's the clean version, right? That's the church version. Okay, but I'm sure they're like, oh, oh." right? Clean. Just think clean. Clean, clean, clean. Wash it, right? But they're probably thinking, oh, my goodness, right? They're the ones that sent them off basically to be a slave. They're the ones that wanted to murder him. They, wanted to, they did all these things to him. And here they are. Now they're having to bow down before him. And they're bowing down before him the whole time they're there. You know, and they're probably thinking, you know what? You're the one we didn't think much of. But now, God has made you great. You're the one you thought dad gave way too much favor to. But now that we see God's hand on your life and favor that has been given to you to, to be before the most powerful man in the world. And you're the one who's about to kill all of us to avenge yourself. It's the payback moment, right? But again, let's look at what Joseph says to his brothers. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves. Man, Joseph really had a forgiving spirit. Right? I mean, I I would struggle with that probably. You know? But there was something about Joseph that was special. And here, he, he... he man, do not be grieved or angry with yourself because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Verse 7, and God sent me before you to preserve a, uh, a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Now notice, you know what, uh, Joseph doesn't say. God sent me here to give me all the things that Egypt had to offer. Instead, he says, God sent me here to rescue you. To save you. To preserve your life. And I'll just tell you this, that's kingdom. That's having a kingdom-minded perspective. A kingdom-minded relationship. Because how many of us would be fired up and kind of, all right, man, I'm going to... But Joseph was like, no, the reason why, the reason why I'm here, the reason why uh, you were accounting all of this right now is that God sent me to rescue you, rescue my family, rescue the covenant people of God to save you and to preserve your life. That's kingdom. That's kingdom relationship. Which leads us to our third point, which is kind of really the nutshell of it all. The purpose of relationship is to partner with God in rescuing the people around us. The purpose of relationships is to partner with God in rescuing people around us. That's the ultimate purpose of relationships. For you and I as believers... Right? To steward whatever we have been given to assure that those around us in our spheres of influence are rescued and can move forward with God's plan in their life. That's that's the purpose. This is what Joseph was doing in every probably every phase, every scenario, from the pit to the to the to the uh, Potiphar's house to the prison to the Pharaoh's house. I believe that, man, in his heart, he was always looking, how then do I speak into the lives of people? How then do I develop relationships and speak God's life into them? Because all throughout this whole situation, Joseph remembered covenant. The covenant that God had made with his people. See, we we get into situations sometimes or or areas of our life and we forget covenant right away, don't we? We just forget about it and kind of, oh my God, God, what? No, no, ah! When all along, God's, oh man, I've, I've, I've created a covenant. I've made a covenant with you. Meaning that all that is mine is yours. All I need you to do is just lean in, give it to me. And, I, and I, I will be there every single step of the way. And that's, that's the cool thing about Joseph. He always had this covenant relationship in mind that he had with God so that he could, in, in, in community, rescue people. You know, wear the little lifeguard symbol with the, the red cross on there or whatever that is. He was part of Baywatch. No, I'm just kidding. But, but it's not just Joseph's purpose. It's really all of ours. Because look at Proverbs chapter 24, verse 11. And they'll show it up on the screen. But, but look at this. It says, rescue those being led away to death. Now, Proverbs is talking to us. Right? I mean, wouldn't you say the Bible talks, is speaking to us? Yeah, 100%, absolutely. Agree with that. Shake your head. All right, good, 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 good. Okay. So, if he the Bible speaks to us, then he's he's talking to us right now. He says, "Rescue those being led away to death, hold back those staggering towards slaughter." How do you do that? Through relationship. Through relationship. See, that whole, whole, whole um, verse right there means that we have been beckoned by God to rescue those who are, been, who are being taken away by death, by being taken away by their sin, by being taken away of just not knowing God. And two, I'm going to take it a step further, I think that even, even plays into brothers and sisters in the Lord who are living a life of sin, who who are not even aware that they're living in sin. But see, it's up to us as a covenant relationship community to be able to address that with one another, not in a, a, a shameful way, but in a loving way. See, that sometimes is where it gets all kind of messed up and everything, and then someone gets offended, and it gets all just messed up. But see, if we approach everything in love then God is able to do something far greater than we can even imagine. Because it's not really you, it's the Holy Spirit working through you. And it's touching the lives of those individuals. And they're like, wow, yeah, thank you for sharing that with me. At first, I didn't even see that. But now that you said that, I'm starting to see, yeah, that is part of a life of sin. And I don't want that in my life. But see, you've got to build relationships with people. You know, and, and, and we could too, you know, just kind of, you know, casually view it and say, well, praise God, I got friends, right? I got friends, and even if they're not, you know, godly friends, I, I got friends, right? Or we can begin to, to, to look at it, especially with those who are uh, not, not serving God, don't have a relationship with God, but we can, we can have an intentional focus of God's heart. Let's start asking in relationships, God, give me your heart for that person. Give me an understanding about what's going on in that person. Because you know what? Honestly, a lot of times you'll find people won't tell you what's going on. Very few will you find some that will like, let it all out. Okay? But a lot of times, you know what? People will kind of give you the um, kind of semi, maybe maybe a little bit of a, current, a rough area of their life or whatever, just a little bit, not much, when, man, things might go much deeper. So that's why it's so important for us to have the Holy Spirit in our life and to ask the Holy Spirit. If I'm in relationship with this person and even in that little area they're struggling, but man, I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that, but man, the Holy Spirit will all of a sudden tell you, no, there's something much much more going on there. Have you ever had that experience? And you're just like, hmm, I think I need to pray a little bit more for them. I think I need to really kind of figure out and maybe even ask the Lord, hey, what's going on in their heart right now? But see, sometimes it, it takes a word from somebody to awaken, awaken. How did you know that? Well, God told me. I thought nobody knew. God knows. But see, he wants to use me and you in relationship with others to be able to speak life, to speak his direction, to speak his heart into that person's life. So, so important. But see, we've got to be able to intentionally keep this focus of God's heart for people so that we can turn around just like Joseph and say, God sent me to rescue you. God sent me to, to, to get you to be saved, to help preserve your life. Why not? Right? Why not? Again, that's anti-cultural. But, but the thing is, is, we don't live by the culture. We live by the culture of Scripture. Right? That's the key. And, and something else for you just to kind of get, and we're going to wrap this up here. But if, 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 if you have never figured this out, Joseph is, uh, in the Bible is like a foreshadow of Christ in the Old Testament. Okay, And that's where I'm kind of trying to tie this up here. And here, here's a few correlations. Joseph was sold into slavery. Jesus was sold for the price of a slave. Joseph was tempted but did not sin. Jesus was tempted and did not sin, ever. And Joseph became a Savior to many people, but Jesus became the Savior to all people. So as Christ's followers, we're supposed to imitate Him, right? Which means that we should also partner with Him. We should also have a heart to partner with God in rescuing people. Starting with those outside the faith, and even those inside the faith that can't see the direction they're, they're leaning towards, the direction that they're going in. So, for me to wrap it all up, this is why the story of Joseph is important. Because God rescued Joseph, and if we were to go a bit farther, you could say, um, in order to rescue Judah, in order to rescue Israel, because they all play a part in this, but it, He did it in order to rescue you so that you can partner with God in rescuing others around you. So if I'm going to kind of get to the end of this thing, what is the purpose of relationships? This is it, to partner with God and give my life so that people around me can be rescued and help them fulfill the purpose and plan of God for their lives. You know what that means? That means discipleship. Because, you know, sometimes there's a challenge there. Sure, I got, I got some relationships with people, but who am I discipling? Who am I pressing into? Who am I, who am I saying, hey, you know what? Maybe I need to meet with them once a month just to see how they're doing. Just to maybe, maybe talk about some scripture. Talk about some things, of, about the things of God. That's kind of, in a sense, almost grassroots discipleship. But see, every single one of us can do it. You, you really can. Because I know inside sometimes that, that becomes scary. Oh my gosh, like, will I have the right words to say? Will I do this? Will I not do this? I, I, you know, what, what will happen? But you know, that, that's the great thing about having a heart for the Lord because the Lord said, hey, you just move in that direction. I'll show up and I'll, I'll give you the words to speak. I'll give you the things to say. And it might not even be deep the first time. And you might be driving home and going, well, that really didn't, I don't think that went well. But you know what? For that person that maybe you were reaching out to, they might be driving on home and going, man, I am so thankful. That they even called me. That they even thought about me. They even like cared about me. But see, we beat ourselves up because we don't feel like we have the magic words. Let the Holy Spirit speak the magic words. You just be the skewing you in whatever that looks like. Because that's what God's heart is. That's how God views it. It's not about all these other things and all these great things that we can we can come up with. It's just the fact that, you know what, kingdom-minded relationship. I am out living my life. Yes, all the other things are great, but really it's about relationship. How can I develop relationship with people so that I can res- help rescue them, because you don't do the rescuing Jesus does, but how I can help rescue them, and then how I can help them live a life that begins to fulfill God's purpose and plan their life it's totally possible if we'll just give in to that plan and purpose bow your heads for me and we'll wrap this up hallelujah Lord Jesus Holy Spirit I thank you for taking the words that were said today and and talking and speaking to each one of our hearts um And whether or not that ignites something within each of us, I'll let you work on that. But I know that you want every single one of us in community to be in relationship with those in our community, and then to begin to go out beyond our walls to build community with others outside of the faith so that we can bring them back in to this community. So, Lord, whatever that takes, whatever that takes, from a pastor's heart, I ask that you would begin to burn that within us. You would begin to speak that into us. You would begin to to help us grow in faith grow in boldness grow in in, in areas of our life Lord that man all of a sudden we, we just succumb to the heart of the Father for people that are around us and people that are in our community and so I thank you for doing that in our lives today I thank you for doing that in our lives every single day because That's your heart. And Lord, I thank you that we are a people that are after your heart. We're after you. And so, burn that within us. Do whatever it takes. Even in me, Lord, do whatever that takes. Because you are so good. So gracious and so loving. We thank you for it.